Good morning. It's uh, 10 o'clock on the second Tuesday of the month. Time for Boat Talk, the uh, radio call-in show with your two rusty anchors, Mike Joyce and Alan Sprague. Uh, two old sailors who like to uh, <coughs> like, like to navigate because we love to be able to tell other people where to go. <laughs> We're joined here uh, gladly by Giffy Fall. At least I'm glad that he's here, our, uh, our occasional guest and... Uh, Great boat saver, boat surveyor. We have a, I call it, it's the Giffy Full rule around here. If Giffy's available, he's always welcome to come around to Boat Talk. Giffy is a uh, marine surveyor of uh, some maturity, should we say. And, experienced. Uh, yeah, experienced. And um, Giffy is, for instance, the fellow, if you need to know if old Ironsides will sail or if uh, Jacques Cousteau needs to know if Calypso is still fit to go, uh, you call Giffy. So, uh, you know, nobody better for the job here at Boat Talk this morning. The number, should you wish to give us a call, is one eight six 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 two five nine three seven eight. And Boat Talk's a marine-oriented call-in show where we contemplate anything about your naval issues. <laughs> That's my small pun. Yes. We have a, a whole raft of issues, speaking of puns, uh, several, several items. And I guess we'll start off with um, uh, an email request from a, f- a few weeks ago, a, a listener from last month. And let's also uh, promo here that uh, in the second half of the show at 1030, we hope to get uh, George McKay, captain and builder of Raw Faith. Raw Faith is a current. Yes. Galleon of some uh, local re- repute, and uh, George will be calling us from Raw Faith in uh, Rockland Harbor and hopefully give us an account of uh, their most recent try to get out of the Gulf of Maine, which failed with uh, demasting, and now under port arrest in the in the city of Rockland. So uh, we will hopefully have George on the phone at 1030. In the meantime, we've got a bunch of other stuff to talk about, so let's get at it. Cement right. boats, you say? Yes, we'll start off with something concrete. Um, did it again, we didn't you? Had a, had an email from a listener who asked about cement boats, and I'll quickly tell people who say cement boats never heard of the idea. Actually, it's been around for quite a few years. I guess the little history it goes back to the late 18, 1870s, 1860s, when the first cement boat was made, a small one. But basically, the way cement boats are made are they're generally backyard boats where a person will set up a, a wire frame and then just sort of slather special uh, ferro cement on over the frame enough to make it a uh, somewhat like a boat shape and then build uh, frames and bulkheads and so forth inside from that it's user friendly it's affordable it is something you can do in your backyard with uh, you know not special marine uh, you know uh, materials you don't have to uh, have high skills to you know shape planks and all that stuff so yeah it's it's a perfectly legitimate way to build a boat um, what I have found is that a lot of um, or uh, I have a vision of a cement boat in the boatyard down to Eastport by the boat school, and the rebar inside the boat is sticking out through the cement and quite rusty. And I think that's one of the liabilities of a uh, of a oh, cement boat is right cement. You've got to have rebar in it, and uh, that's just a regular old steel. And when it gets wet, it rusts. And when it rusts, it, it uh, gets kind of nasty, and you know things start to fall apart after that. Um, your opinion on cement boats, Giffy? Well, I've seen a number of them. Most of them haven't been very good. I've seen one that was exceptionally good. So 
you know, I'm convinced if somebody wants to put the special effort into doing it right, it, it works. Uh, you know, it wouldn't be my favorite, but to go back in history, way back in World War I, uh, I don't remember that far back, <laughs> but uh, uh, they built several steamers, regular freighters. They were small freighters out of concrete, steam-powered, and they were perfectly successful. They built, in fact, I wouldn't know how many they built, but they built several. They were built down, I think, on the, in the Maryland area, Delaware, Maryland area. And then uh, there was one that ran on the main coast after the war was over. One ran on the main coast as a general freighter, and she finally was wrecked in a storm uh, on, uh, I believe, I think it's named it, Old Silly Ledge outside of Port outside of Port Clyde. If you got to fetch up on a ledge, why not the old silly ledge, you know, huh? But the, the interesting thing is that she was went on that ledge in a real bad storm and got hold and was sitting on the ledge and and uh, some of the crew uh, said, "Well, she's going to break up." And uh, the captain told him, "No, she won't break up. She's going to just sit here as a, another part of the ledge. Not to worry about it." They'd be okay, but they insisted on abandoning ship and put down one of the lifeboats, and I don't know how many there was, four or five guys, maybe more, drowned. You can get in more trouble getting off the boat sometime. And they stayed there. The rest of the crew stayed there, and when the weather was over, they got off her, and I guess she laid there for years, and... I think she's still marked on the charts. I like what you said there. The le- the cement boat was yeah. just as good as part of the ledge. And then there's another one that sits on the beach down at Cape May, New Jersey. has been there for eons and eons. And, of course, she's broken up now, but there's still pieces of her there. And um, they, were, they were essentially built right. Well, I guess it's fair to say about cement boats as well as any boat, it's a question of workmanship. Uh, something yeah. that's put together well, right will will live a long time. Yeah, Everything well, has prob- to shed water. Yeah, the problem is uh, I think most of the boats are, are, are built without much skill. And uh, I think if they were probably built correctly, they'd be okay. It wouldn't be my choice. I, yeah. I can't see the point of putting that much effort into a boat that isn't going to have a better resale value. Um, And I've seen several semi-abandoned ones, and I remember uh, one boat in particular that I was asked to survey by the insurance company, and I went to the boat, and it was so poorly built, I just wouldn't even bother to survey it. I just said, no, I can't survey this boat. But all the workmanship in it was poor yeah. yeah now something else i find interesting was just reading about the Kanduskeg stream race they have a uh, a canoe class a cement canoe class of uh, some history that uh universities have got uh, mixed up in trying to build the perfect cement canoe which is a mixture of being able to pick it up and being able to bash it into a rock and have it hold together and uh, of course you use a uh, a very light cement mix and so anyway cement canoe uh, why you ask but you know why we not? Do, we, we do have a call. Because they can. Let's uh, go to that and see what they had to say. Good morning. Good morning. Well, the boat talk. Right. This is 
Fred and Tenants Harbor. Morning, Fred. How are you good doing? Good morning. I'm pretty darn good. I uh, got a question. What about putting stainless steel uh, rebar or uh, whatever in uh, cement boats? I guess you could, but it would be quite expensive, uh, partly defeating the uh, whole scheme in the first oh, okay. place. And, okay. and I would say, too, that no matter what you put in there, it comes back again to a workmanship af- uh, uh-huh. issue. You can use expensive materials poorly, you know? Right, right. And I suppose you can uh, get rebar and coat it or whatever, treat it, and then, and then it, uh, it'll resist rust a lot more than if it weren't treated or coated or whatever. I like that. Every piece of rebar first gets three coats of West system. That would, uh, again, <laughs> defeat the uh, economical purpose of that. <laughs> okay. That answers that one. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Fred. Thank Call fine. anytime. Okay. Bye. One eight hundred six two five. No, no, it's one eight six 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 two five nine three seven eight. Here at Boat Talk, the issue and I've heard about with cement boats is you do have that whole wire network inside the cement, and any sort of electrolysis is just carried through your entire frame, and you start causing corrosion pretty much mm-hmm. o- over the whole thing. Kind of make me worry. I I don't think that's the main problem. I don't think I don't think so. I mean. There's always a chance of that, but it's just, it's steel. It uh, gets any moisture in it, it's going to deteriorate, especially if it gets any salt through it. I just don't think it's an ideal way to build a boat, but it is doable. It is doable. And I've I've seen one yacht down south. That was uh, very, very well done. You had you wouldn't even realize you was ferro cement. Nowadays, if I had to build a boat and I had low skills and some ambition, I wouldn't go cement. I'd go stitch and glue. I'd build a plywood panel boat where you uh, you know basically wire the panels together with wire or uh, even uh, plastic electrical cables and then uh, fiberglass or epoxy everything on. There's some beautiful boats built that way. Sam Devlin out in Washington State, for instance, um, with kayaks, and there's no boat. Uh, apparently, uh, size is not a, uh, a factor. You can build about anything you can think up in a stitch-and-glue manner. Mm-hmm. Very user-friendly. But uh, there again, even if you build one of those little boats that way, you've got to do it reasonably right not get the yeah, uh, yeah. let the plywood get wet yeah. and start right out yeah. to fit up correctly and and uh, well, we have another phone caller so let's let's go to that and see what we have good morning welcome to boat talk hey this is nick down in waldeboro hi nick. Morning, nick what's uh, up well about the rebar uh i recall going down through the florida keys because my father used to live there that in those concrete bridges that are down real close to that salt hot salt water they got rebar that I think it's epoxy coated. It's got a coating on it. It's, you know, not as expensive as stainless, like the fella called up about. I think it's probably, you know, within reason, but they put some kind of coating on it because those bridges, in fact, the piers are right down in the water. Nick, full disclosure, disclosure you're a metal worker, aren't you? Yeah, I do a little bit of that. Yeah. Uh, but anyhow, uh, if anybody wants to build a ferro cement boat, that would be something to look into. Is whatever they use for rebar down there. Well, it's it, they, they I believe call for high tensile steel, so that may. Well, be there's good. two different grades of rebar. There's grade forty and grade sixty. Okay. The grade forty is used like in most house foundations, let's say. In grade sixty is a higher tensile, a higher carbon uh, rebar. In fact, you can you can use it to make coal chisels and tools out of. You can harden and temper it. Hmm. Um, 
but uh, one of the things with grade 60 is you're not supposed to heat it if you're going to bend it. So, I mean, I don't know anything about ferrous cement. So, uh, maybe grade 40 would work. But, but at any rate, look into that rebar down south there if anybody wants to build one. Like I say, when I think of rebar and uh, ferro cement boats, there's one by the boat school at the old yard in uh, Eastport there with the just rebar sticking out of it all rusty and crazy, and it ain't well, a pretty see, sight. they didn't use that southern fried rebar, man. Probably not. I'm <laughs> telling right. you, it's not pretty and reassuring, though. All right. See you later. Thank That's you, so Nick. Long, Nick. Uh, 1-866-625-9378 if you'd like to uh, jump into a boat talk. We have a whole variety of things to talk yeah, about today. we got a couple other interesting things here. For instance, uh, Woman and Women and the Sea, a traveling uh, museum exhibit, has come to the Penobscot Marine Museum, and you can check that out at uh, pmm-main.org. And uh, this is a traveling exhibit that is uh, added to by the Penobscot Maine uh, Marine Museum uh, with a main focus and uh, will include six, include six evening programs about different Maine women, uh, adventures from racing yachts to lobster fishing and marine bio biology. This is going on all summer. And again, uh, pmm Dashmain.org or uh, 548-2529, the Penobscot Marine Museum. In Searsport. Right there on Route 1. You can't miss it. Yeah, it's a good good place to visit. We do have another phone caller. Let's go to that. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? Good. How are you? Good. Sure, this is Bill down at Thomaston, and I've just been listening to your Reebok conversation. And uh, uh, you have the same problem in buildings, and most of the most of the Reebok being used now is coated Reebok. I think that's what he was referring to down in the Keys as well. I worked with a guy once who had a theory that the Empire State Building was going to fall down for exactly the same reason. Oh, dear. Because <laughs> the rebound was all going to rot out over time and the way she was going to go. Um, you know, and I, I think that the, you know, with regard to the one that's down in Eastport, the, the more pressing problem is, is the mix on the concrete because the reason you got the rebound sticking out is because the concrete has fallen off over the years and then you're left with, with the skeleton, which is not what you want in the first place. So it's, I, I don't know what the mixes are, but you'd have to be really careful about what uh, the way the way you put that thing together in terms of the concrete mix. Good point, Bill. That's that's uh, that's it for this morning. Good show, thanks. No, thank Appreciate you. it. We're going to keep our eyes on the Empire State Building now. <laughs> yeah, I think we'll, yeah, just watch we'll, out. Don't stand underneath it. You know. Yeah, we'll just steer clear of that one. <laughs> thanks. Here's another interesting uh, article from the Fisherman's Voice, and uh, this is uh, an alert from a crab processor down in Bass Harbor, uh, the Carters down there, Kelly Carter and her uh, husband Steve Carter. They are noticing that a lot of their crabs are coming up with shell disease, a black fungus shell disease that uh, puts pots on the shell. Shells disintegrate. They're uh, weak and mushy and uh, deteriorated joints. It does not affect the meat, but it's a pretty ugly thing. And as, as uh, in some catches, uh, very little. And as in other catches, as much as 70 to uh, 100% of the crabs are coming up that way. Uh, this is an escalating uh, problem, according to the Carters in Bass Harbor. Uh, there is more this year than there was last year and the year before. Um, they took the, Bob Bayer from the Lobster Institute out on their boat, and he took samples back to the University of Maine lab for test. At press time, the results were inconclusive, but these lesions on the crabs, they say, have a lot of similarities to lobster shell disease, which is decimating the lobster fishery to the south of us right now. And again, um, 
you know, this is under uh, investigation at the present time. The Carters believe there's a correlation between the shell disease and hide bait. Uh, cow bait is used for uh, fishing lobster traps sometimes. Some of it has hair on it, and uh, fishermen uh, don't think well of that. Uh, what's cow hair doing in in the ocean in a crab or a lobster? So anyway, that's uh, just an update. Like say, the uh, lobster fishery to the south of here is being decimated um, for different reasons of uh, and shell disease is the is the um, how that shows up. Um, the result is that there's not as many lobster fishermen or. Uh, you know, and that that would arguably be a bad, bad thing on the coast of Maine. So we've got our eyes on that one, uh, shell disease. There's a phone number, I believe, with that. There is a phone number here. If you're interested in that, and I had it right there, uh, yeah, call the Lobster Institute, uh, Bob Bear, 581-1443. Uh, they'd like to know more about that. Well, there you go, folks. If you'd like to find some way to crab two on the phone, there's the number. What else is happening we got here? I uh, wanted to tell a little story. I just did a uh, yes. boat delivery a couple weeks ago, uh, Memorial Day weekend, I guess it was. We uh, Three of us uh, went down to Huntington, Long Island, and uh, got in a little uh, Sabre 36 and sailed her back to Northeast Harbor, Maine, which was a great thing. Three of us was quite a, quite a luxury. And... Uh, uh, my friends, Captain Jay and Captain Mark, uh, they are way more experienced than I am. I was the I was the junior member on that crew, so uh, we didn't have any problems basically, except for we got down to the boatyard and and we discovered that the captain had not brought the charts for Long Island Sound. He'd brought the charts for the Delaware Bay instead, but we weren't in the Delaware Bay, and it was quite foggy in Long Island Sound. <laughs> So we took off on the um, on the GPS radar machine, a combination uh, GPS radar machine with a you know a, a chart map in it, and we took off on that. Uh, very very foggy, rainy. We had a bimini that we put up because it was rainy and wet back there. So we got a bimini over the wheel back aft. And uh, for instance, I went through the race at two o'clock in the morning. Uh, never saw it. It was surreal standing oh, there in the fog. We should say what going the race. The race is uh, where Long Island and Connecticut kind of squeeze together, and yes. uh, there's some current there and things not, to run into. A and sporting event. It's a no. And if you're going in and out of Long Island Sound, that would that would be the part you'd pay attention to. I went through there at two a.m. in the morning, and, and fog so thick that. I I kept sticking my head outside the boat to uh, stand there. It was just surreal. I didn't think I was moving. It, it's a, quite an act of faith to stand there and believe everything's all right when you, like say, don't even have a paper chart. But there we were. So that was fine. And, again, we're very experienced. We, we did that fairly fairly well. But 9 o'clock the next month, sorry, 6 o'clock the next morning, I get up for my, uh, my morning watch, and I come out. Made a cup of tea. Now we're in Buzzards Bay. And uh, I don't like Buzzards Bay. I've never liked Buzzards Bay. And Giffy and I just chatted about that. Uh, you know, it's it's crowded. It's choppy. It's, uh, you know, there's lots of reasons I don't like Buzzards Bay. Never had a real good time there. So I always... I'm very vocal about that. But this morning, I decided to come up and make a cup of tea and, and come up with a good attitude. I love Buzzards Bay. Good morning, Buzz. Glad to see you. I poured him a cup of tea like, well, you know, we'll toast Neptune sometimes. Back in Buzzards Bay, what a great, th- what a good morning, you know, even if it's foggy. Immediately, I got in trouble. Um, the uh, fellow in the middle of the night, I think, had changed the ley line on the radar from pointing the way the boat is to pointing north. So if you turn the wheel, now the line is not in front of you on the radar showing you which way you're headed. It's 
turning off at a crazy angle. So I'm trying to drive to a buoy in the fog. It's very foggy. Even when you get to the buoy, we had a hard time reading the numbers. Um, I mean, we, we passed buoys that we we, were clear, we could hear them, but we couldn't see them. They're right next to us. Very, very foggy. So I'm trying to find this buoy. I really want to see this buoy. And as I try to drive to it, the line changes on the radar, and it just it totally disoriented me. Um, when I looked down, I wasn't doing 35 degrees anymore. I was doing like 250. I turned completely around. You can do that. I did a 360 in the fog. I looked at that, and I figured it out, and I freaked out. And I says, okay, you're all turned around, son. Don't, no, 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 just turn around again. So I did. I did two donuts and kept on my way. But I'd lost my confidence, okay? And uh, a little while later, I had another bad time finding the, a buoy and because uh, the line just, uh, like I say, it was turning on the radar all the time. So uh, in the middle of the watch, uh, captain is up on deck, and again, I'm under a bimini behind the wheel, and uh, he's standing there. We're looking for another buoy, and I'm, 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 I'm complaining. I'm saying this thing. We got Jay up here and reset this thing. I can't drive this thing like this. And all of a sudden, the captain goes, boat, boat, boat. And I'm like, where? And I looked at the I didn't see it on the radar. He's going, boat, boat. And I'm going, where? He's going, boat. I'm going, where? And he's pointing, but he's in between me and the boat. And I'm under a bimini, so I can't stand up on the seat, and I can't, I can't look out sideways. And uh, finally, I see where he's pointing. I look out, and I thought I saw the stern of a lobster boat going away from me. And it started to make a turn. He freaked out. He went, what are you doing? What are you doing? And, and I, I stopped my turn. And I looked out again. I says, I, I, I saw the stern. He's going away. He's no, you saw the bow. He's coming at you. Don't do that. Now I don't even know what I'm doing. So I'm trying to see the boat again. And uh, I started to make another turn. And uh, no, he says. So I looked out again. And I decided what I was going to do. And I started to do it. And he says, no, again. And I'm just total lack of confidence. I did an imitation of a squirrel crossing the road in front of your vehicle, uh, goes out and darts in the middle of the road, hesitates there, you know, darts both ways without going either way, and I hesitated in, the, in front of that boat, finally crossed its bow, and went up, uh, you know, port to port with it. We could have spoken to the guy, I saw the name of the boat, I could have called him on the radio and apologized. I've hardly ever done anything so stupid in my life. And uh, total lack of confidence, and... Like I said, just shook me up. But when I when I sat back and thought about that, I thought I disrespected Buzzards. I lied to Buzzards Bay, and it just slapped me down immediately. You can't fool Mother Nature. The rest of the time, I hate Buzzards Bay, and I'm not going to be shy about being honest about it in the future. So there. Giffy's been shaking his head over here. All the well, time. <laughs> no, just that there, that part of the world has a lot of barge traffic all the way from New York right up through. It's constant barge traffic there and you've got to be very careful very careful those, those guys can't maneuver very well and they expect small yachts to keep away from them oh no doubt yeah. about it oh, and, yeah. uh, they know they have the I right never away. have a problem with that I, I just keep away from those fellas give them all the breaks you can because they, they just can't uh, don't maneuver that easy now we had a combination uh, uh, chart radar machine and uh, you could go half screen on this or half screen on that but it was neither a great chart machine or a great radar um, I never saw that fishing boat um, we did uh, have trouble getting good good uh, returns on buoys sometimes which buoys are ma made to show up good on radar so here's the other thing we uh, like I said uh, had no paper charts till we got to uh, Rhode Island basically where we went 
off the chip chart on the on the uh, GPS. And as we're out in the Gulf of Maine, we now have no no uh, video plotter, but we still have the radar and the GPS uh, readout. And but to uh, get the GPS readout, we had to turn the radar off. And of course, it's still dark and foggy. We came into Northeast Harbor in the middle of the night, and uh, we needed the radar for that. But to check our position, we had to turn the radar off. So uh, we made it just fine. And you know, you live and learn. And so anyway, that was our trip from Huntington. I've got a new radar with the combination but I, I i doubt if i ever use it that way i want a radar and it's going to be a radar <laughs> i agree yes and i don't want any confusion in it and have a plotter and it's going to be a plotter the maps on the plotters differ in quality and clarity and uh, this one was kind of medium um you know it doesn't uh, name the buoys you can call it up with by pressing a button and get a readout on it but again it's not an ideal situation and what i've uh, taught a bunch of people is you never drive the boat like a video game people's tendency is to look at the icon on the chart plotter and try to drive it with the wheel oh, yeah. and you yeah. can't do that <laughs> So anyway, boat talk this morning is what we're doing, and uh, we are expecting a call in a few minutes from Raw Faith, uh, George McKay down in Rockland Harbor, and we'll get the uh, skinny on him. We've got Giffy Full in here this morning. Uh, Giffy, you were going to go south by boat last fall, but you never got the boat together, no, did you? No, no. There's an old story. I got slowed down. <laughs> slowed down. No, I. it was December by the time I got through refitting the boat, and I decided it was too late to go. It was going to be practical. Put her away till spring. Well, we've got her out now. Is she in the water yet? Oh, yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. And have we got her how we like her, or we need to do oh, a bunch yeah, of things? It's, it's going to be fine. going to be fine. Uh, it's, uh, I'm going to do a lot of swallowing of pride in one thing or another, because my big boat was very, very comfortable and a very good sea boat. This boat is going to be fine, but she's... You're going to be cramped. 31 feet, Little Jim it is. Yeah, uh, 31, yeah, isn't it? Feet, yeah. yeah. Hull was built by Otis over in Searsport and uh, finished by the owner, who was a professional boat builder down in Elliott, Maine. And uh, I bought her from his estate. And recustomized. And you'd yeah. hope by this point in your, your uh, life you would know what you like in a boat. And uh, I imagine you know how to get it, too. I hung out with you one day there while you, we were working on the boat. And yeah. it's uh, Well, I'm opinionated, and I, I like down east-style boats. God bless you. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, just a traditional lobster-style hull with a trunk cabin and a deck house and has a small galley on deck. and It's just practical. Speaking of Down East-style boats, here's an outrage for you. Has anybody seen the FedEx commercial they have on television featuring what are, I guess, supposed to be Maine lobstermen um, talking about shipping their catch uh, fresh and quickly? It's a a howl, this FedEx commercial. Well, first thing is they're not Down East lobster boats. Okay? They just ain't. And the second thing is the the Maine accent, those boys are whatever accent they're trying to do. It's it's not an accent from anywhere. Guy's got like a, a lobster hanging off of his beard sort of thing, and they're talking about getting them overseas quickly, you know, and all that. And and it's just a howl. The boats aren't right. The fishermen aren't right. I don't even know if, you know, <laughs> those are Maine lobsters. But uh, check that out if you ever see the FedEx commercial. And, and uh, why is a Maine accent so hard for actors to do? Yeah. It really has resisted a lot of good actors. Well, 
My my problem is I don't watch TV very much, very little. I'm a big reader. There you go. That's another good point. I was reading a, um, a really good new book while we were uh, uh, on that delivery, and it's called Mayflower, and Nathaniel Philbrick, he wrote In the Heart of the Sea, and also, uh, what was the other one? Um, Oh, one about a South Seas expedition the U.S. Navy put up. I'll think of the name of that as soon as I uh, stop thinking about it. Anyway, this is the story of the pilgrims coming to uh, Plymouth in 1620 in great detail and uh, documentation. And you think you know the pilgrim myth. It's not exactly like that. Uh, Mayflower, it's called. Nathaniel Philbrick. Yeah, I think I've read it. Yeah. I think I read it last year. Quite good. The the uh, pilgrims had a chance to buy a chart in England before they came over, but it was too expensive, and so they didn't. And as we're sailing through Cape Cod Bay without our GPS machine and, and back on it, I was imagining if we had no charts and we're, we're here looking around, what would you make of this place with no charts? Where would you go? And they, they chose Plymouth for whatever reason. When they went to visit the local Indians finally... They found they didn't have a good spot at Plymouth at all. Yeah. Comparatively speaking, the Indians knew where the good spots were. And, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, they they should have gone to Boston. They were they were aiming for Manhattan. They didn't even know really where they were. But um, excellent book, Mayflower, Nathaniel Philbrick. There we are. What's going on in the other room there, Alan? I well, haven't been ta- paying attention. We're, we're having to deal with a poor cell phone reception with George McKay. I believe we have him on the line now, and hopefully we'll be able to keep him on the line. But it seems to be... A little bit shaky, but I think we'll start off by giving uh, a little history of raw faith. Good morning, George. Good morning, George. Uh, let's start at the beginning. You were a, you're a what a trained engineer. You were working on Boston in Boston, uh, commuting back and forth from Winthrop, Maine. Um, let's start the story there. Well, that's a long time ago. Um, my engineering background's in high tech, electrical electrical engineering in high tech, so. Uh, really doesn't have much to do with mechanical or um, uh, boat building. And uh, uh, I was working down there with a startup company, which got bought by uh, another big conglomerate, and all my stock options transferred over and ended up with a little bit of cash to uh, uh, start on an adventure that I was inspired to do by my daughter. And um, she's in a wheelchair, and I just thought that uh, to help make her life a little better, it would be wonderful to... uh, uh, be able to go sailing and uh, visit different parts of uh, the country and in the process of doing that realizing that uh, we needed to build a wheelchair accessible ship in order to do that that uh, how wonderful it would be to be able to take some other families out when we came into a harbor that if we had uh, met some people and and that that would be a wonderful thing to be able to take them out sailing and it just uh, kind of grew from there george you'd never been sailing at that point in your life how do you think that idea come to you uh, well, that is true. Um, I, I think uh, I, I am a Christian, and I believe that uh, uh, even though I talk about my daughter being the inspiration, I also believe that uh, uh, the Lord had his hands on my life and guidance and uh, and direction what, what I should be doing. So uh, we, we had, uh, when I talked to my wife about it, she was a little surprised because I had never been sailing and never really built anything. And so uh, we prayed about it for a while and then uh, agreed this is what the Lord had for us to do. And to do, I mean, you sold your house. Uh, we sold our house, our cars, uh, property, investments. We we sold out everything to pursue uh, this vision that we had, uh, and uh, 
and we just felt it like that's what the Lord was having us do. You moved down to Addison, Maine, down in Washington County, and on the banks of the Pleasant River in a little spot between the road and the high tide, you uh, had a big pile of white oak uh, and a bunch of nails, and you uh, started to uh, lay up a keel, a laminated white oak keel. Um, you laminated ribs over the top of that, and, and uh, it took, what, four years to build raw faith, didn't it? It took a total of 28 months, and uh, it was my three sons and I. My youngest son, when we started, was 10, and uh, the other two were 14, uh, 15 and 16 when we started, I believe it was. And, um, yeah, we had had, uh, we started right from logs and had the logs milled into uh, planks, and we laminated we built the ship following the old process, that is, uh, carving a half model and getting our lines from the half model and then going from there um, on up, you know, lofting into full scale. And we, so I did a lot of research and uh, figured that it, was, it would be far easier to follow the old process but use modern technology, that is, being laminations and, um, and epoxy. And so that's what we, uh, what we had done. This is, no other way to put it, a complete learning curve for you. You've not been sailing. You've never built a boat. Um, you know, you've uh, chosen this galleon design. And uh, I'll be right up front with you talking to Giffy about this. His opinion is that uh, you should have had some um, uh, more uh, experienced uh, boat building uh, advice as you entered the program, I believe. Uh, is that pretty fair to say, Giffy? Is that fair to say that... Uh, I would say so, yeah. I yeah, think but, uh, there's a lot of good boat builders around that could have just given him guidance and got him uh, started out straight from the beginning. And and uh, what what did you laminate with the epoxy? Um, you mean what brand of epoxy? No, what, what, what lumber? What was the kind of lumber that you used the epoxy on? The ship is is made out of uh, almost exclusively out of white oak, with the exception yeah. of the deck. Well, There's well, number one, and, and I realized that the epoxy doesn't uh, uh, set into the white oak, that doesn't penetrate into the white oak very thoroughly. That is correct. And all right, so you know, for for you to automatically assume that I don't know what it is that I should be doing was wrong for you to say that I should have turned to some boat building shop to be started on the right track. You don't know if I'm already on the right track or not. You're just assuming. Um, I guess the reason I brought that up so early in the conversation, George, was uh, I don't know if you heard uh, earlier we discussed uh, cement boats earlier in the program. I am, uh, yeah, um, I heard that. Yeah, and uh, let, me finish, let me finish my comment. If yeah. I, I do not use the epoxy as a sole method of adhering anything together. So realizing that epoxy doesn't penetrate into the white oak, it is not a. Uh, uh, a sole fastener for me in any portion of the ship at all. Fair enough. Um, like I said, the reason I brought it up was um, no matter what, uh, especially when you're in a specialized uh, field like boat building, there are one thing always, one decision always affects so many other things. Uh, you know, every, uh, often things are a trade-off, and and you have value decisions to make. A lot of which can really only be made with experience. Um, Raw Faith, um, let's jump ahead a little bit here. When the Coast Guard uh, just inspected her, um, I believe they were fairly impressed by not only the safety gear you had on board, which was uh, you know more than necessary, but the hull is quite solid. It was not leaking at all. Um, you know, you built a, a pretty solid hull. 
Um, and again, it, it's not leaking badly at all. But um, uh, where was I going with that? Do you well, know, let, let me just let me just say something like that. Um, uh, there are a lot of books written. Almost every expert has written a book, you know, and uh, of one sort or another. And I've read everything from Donald McKay. Uh, uh, I, I can't even name all the books that I've read. And um, and so when when people find out and they say, "Well, you you don't have the experience. You don't have the background." You know, I've read a tremendous amount about this. I've done all of the uh, beam stresses. Uh, I, I know all the withdrawal strengths on everything. I know all the um, uh, tension strengths on all the steels. And so for somebody to, to uh, immediately assume that you have to uh, talk to an expert or something when there's a book to pick up and read it, you know, I mean, we're not, we're not dummies here. And, uh, you know, I, I question what's going on in our society when we have all these books available and, and, and uh, people think you can't pick it up and read it. No, uh, I, and I did remember my point here. Again, you've built a very solid hull. It doesn't leak. You can't argue with that. But my my feeling about the boat is that um, uh, when I first saw you, you were on uh, Bill Green's main television program, and I was reading the book, and in the background I saw somebody building a boat with a nail gun, and I went, wow, never saw that before. Let's pay attention. And, of course, you were you were hanging the plank with the nail gun, but that wasn't your uh, primary fastener either. Then you went back and you uh, drilled and, and inserted 8- uh, and 12-inch galvanized spikes, which were uh, pounded in at some great effort and uh, are now exposed on the outside of the hull. The way I look at it, George, you built a good, solid boat, but I worry about those spikes uh, galvanically corroding, and I worry that the, the boat, for all the effort you put into it, won't be as long-lived as it could have, with uh, slight little uh, alterations of the details. So, you know, and I'm not challenging you here. I'm just, uh, you know, just bringing up the point that, uh, you know, you've done a lot of work. Um, and, again, my point is that you're a man with a dream. Nobody can, uh, you know, everybody can understand that. The dream's got a boat in it. That makes a lot of people crazy. And, you know, uh, you're obviously experiencing some difficulties. And, um, you know, that's why we're talking. So uh, we have... Uh, excuse me for just a second, George. We have uh, George McKay on the phone this morning uh, from Raw Faith, and uh, George would would uh, be willing to talk to uh, callers this morning as well, and it's one 625 9378 if you think you can add anything to the conversation. I, I'd like to ask him what he what he is going to do to replace his rig. Well, we got to uh, – I'm currently looking at uh, – i got to do some fundraising, obviously, to get some money, but I'm going to put up uh, – some Douglas fir, which was always my my original plan from when we first launched the ship, and uh, it's just that the funding wasn't available, so we uh, put some spruce uh, uh, trees in, which were the largest we could find, and they were under uh, clearly underside. We were sailing to New Jersey with the intention of doing dockside tours to raise the money to come back to Maine and replace the mast. I mean, my plan was always to replace the rigging just as soon as I could. As far as the spikes and the galvanic corrosion, you get most of your gal galvanic corrosion from having uh, a prop and um, uh, also poorly, uh, uh, a poor electrical systems on board will also help contribute to that. And so I, I, the ship's been in the water since um, uh, August of 2003, and we've not only inspected the underside of her, uh, but also I keep a close eye on the hull, and I don't see any corrosion on any of the spikes that are uh, visible. And as well as any of the steel that's on the bottom side, like I have a steel shoe on the very bottom of the keel, and uh, we we can't notice from a diver, anyways, notice any corrosion at all. 
galvanized spikes. Uh, yeah, I don't mean to go on about this, but uh, one thing I worry about galvanized spikes, you hit them with a hammer. And when you do that, the galvanizing comes, right comes right off. So we, have anyway. a, we have a phone caller, so let's go to that and introduce. Good morning. Welcome to Boat Hi. Talk. Hi. Hi. Um, I just have a, a comment for George, um, just an observation. Um, you said that most of your experience or, or that you got your experience from reading books, and I have to say um, that in anything that I've done, I have valued um, the experience of other people and being able to talk with them and have them share their experience with me. Um, certainly people don't go to medical school by reading the medical text. They need instruction and guidance and um, you know, I'm concerned, I was concerned when I read in the paper that you were taking people out on your boat, and I don't really know that you've had a lot of sailing experience as well. Okay, great. Let me address that, caller, um, from a couple of points. Number one, we are not taking anybody out sailing at this point in time. When we do take people out sailing, um, the ship will have gone through commissioning process and through all the systems and all of that. And as far as not having the experience as far as a boat building, People have been building boats for eons before it was ever even documented people have been building boats. What I, I have not built a, uh, a race-class yacht or a, a, a pristine yacht by any stretch of the imagination. I have a very sturdy, very stable ship, and she was built just like uh, in the old days when there was uh, hundreds of shipyards up and down the coast. And, and even though there was a, a, a fair amount of experience in the trade, they were kicking them out once a season. And that's because they weren't, they weren't worried about making them pristine and perfect. And Roth 8 is not a perfect yacht. If you looked on the deck, you might find a little low spot on one of the decks or the hull. You, if you look alongside the hull, you're not going to see that the lines are absolutely perfect like it was done in a, in a shop somewhere. No, that's right, not the case. Not, but is, is yeah. she solid? She's absolutely solid as a rock. Yeah, and I'm not talking about the appearance of it. I'm just saying that in anything, any endeavor that I've had that I'm starting something new, I've certainly found it valuable to ask people's experience and ask for help from other people and not just rely on reading books. Okay, um, well, I haven't had a chance to, to really talk about that either, but I have talked to, and I've never shied away from anybody giving me advice or talking or taking advice or talking to anybody. I had a marine architect from Germany, and we all know how great the uh, engineers the Germans are, stop by the shipyard. Uh, this is like year two of construction and we got talking about it and he was and I, I told him what I was doing and uh, what my plans were and everything and, and he thought it would be a, a very solid plan and so I, it's not that I've, I've uh, shied away from it it's just that I didn't I didn't uh, I never was at a point where I questioned what I was doing to want to go out and pay somebody money to get their advice right and I don't think that you always have to I think a lot of people are willing to share their experience and share their um, knowledge with other people. So I, I had read a comment that you had made um, to one of the newspapers saying that you had done it without any help from anybody, um, and and that concerned me. And also, I, I know that you've been rescued by the Coast Guard twice, and and I don't know what sailing experience you've had. Um, you know, and also and also, you know, with your with your dream, which I totally applaud, of taking kids out sailing that are wheelchair bound and um, and have other uh, you know other problems you know I totally applaud that but I guess I'm wondering what sailing experience you have to do that well I, I don't have any my first time I ever been sailing was on Roth 8 and and I've all, also anybody that uh, has asked about that or had any concern I've always said that we would have an experienced captain on board the ship at that time um, 
Now, that whether that's uh, uh, myself and I have my captain's license or that's somebody else that we end up getting on board, um, that, that'll be uh, uh, depending on how, what kind of funding we have and all the rest of that kind of stuff. And yeah. as far as me taking families out, if I'm, if I'm taking friends out sailing, I, I don't think that's much of an issue. And if, and if, they're, if I'm marketing uh, the adventures on Raw Faith in a big way, then obviously we have to have an experienced captain on board to be able to uh, manage that whole effort. But if I'm, if I'm just taking a family or two out this summer, which ain't happening this year, I mean next year or sometime, Right. And uh, then, then we may be able to do that w- without having an experienced captain because I've got uh, two nickels to rub together, and that's it. Right. Uh, so people that have a lot of concerns, you know, and, and, and things along those ways, a lot of it is depending on what kind of funding we get is, is what we do. Um, the Coast Guard has inspected a hull, like Mike has said, and said it's one of those soundest, most strongest ships that they've, wooden ships that they've inspected and seen. And so I don't have any experience in even building a doghouse, but yet I built one of the best wooden vessels the Coast Guard has inspected and seen. Um, as far as sailing and sailing experience, just like Mike was talking about, he's got a lot of experience, yet he found himself uh, uh, in circles on the water. So I, I don't try to minimize the, the need for that experience whatsoever. I don't, I don't try to do that at all. Anytime a captain steps up and says, hey, you mind if I come sailing with you and do this and that, I'd, I'd welcome that. Yeah. Absolutely. Can we thank you for your call this morning? And uh, we got so somebody much. else standing by. Thanks for that call. Go to the next one. Good morning. Welcome to Boat Talk. Good morning. This is uh, Bob out in uh, Sears Lawn. Morning, Bob. Hey, What's up? Uh, oh, well, I kind of got a, a uh, project going going somewhat like uh, Raw Faith. But uh, I, what I got is a I'm building a 65-foot um, cattail boat. Uh, just, you know, like cattails you got out in the, in the pond. And uh, I'm wrapping it with uh, some uh, hemp. Hemp, it's, uh, I know it's illegal, but that... Uh, Bob, we got to back up here. Does this boat look like a, a cattail, or is it made out of cattails? Oh, it's made out of cattails. Oh, that's and, a new one. Yeah, yeah. Giffy, wrapping... I don't think his experience with surveying cattail boats <laughs> no, either. No. Well, let me tell you. I'm, I'm not taking the job. <laughs> Well, let me tell you, it's the main thing I'm, I'm having a problem with is, um, you know, the hemp and, and wrapping the hemp tight enough, you know, because what I want to do is is do it like the, that fellow that did it over to uh, the South Pacific. So high at all. Yeah, Contiki. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but I'm going to Iceland, actually Newfoundland, and uh, it's 65. I've got most of it done. I've got another crop, you know, the, the hemp is illegal to grow, but I've got him to wrap. And uh, I'm going to be, well, the harvest is coming up, and I'll be able to fit, finish it, you know, I'm thinking in October. But um, the main question is, how can I get that hemp tight enough, you know, to, to without it coming undone around them cattails? Hell of a question. Shrink it with a heat gun. <laughs> uh, are you familiar with the Brendan voyage as well? A uh, story about some fellows that got together a leather boat after the Irish monks uh, of years ago, and they sailed over to Newfoundland in it. Yeah, 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 yeah. You're going to have to read that one too if you're going to Iceland, Bob. I, I think this man's been listening to Prairie Home Companion too long. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm serious. And listen, if anybody, um, the problem is that, that I don't have enough cattail. So if anybody knows the some small ponds with, with cattails in them, you know, that I could come and harvest. I, you know, they could, my, my website is uh, 
www.cattailboat.com. Oh, dear. Can, just, okay. I'm sure the FDA is going to come check it out. <laughs> I was going to say, Bob, we're going to need to talk to you more in the near future. Uh, we're, we're kind of off the raw faith uh, subject right now, but we will definitely talk more in the future. I, I, well, I'll be calling back, but listen, any information I could, and any kind of help that anybody can give me out there would be great. Just email me at that, that address. You need the, you need the trucker's uh, cinch knot where you can pull it really Cattailboat.com. Yeah. Uh, here's another book for you I just read. Cork Boat, brand new. Uh, Pollock is the author. He built a boat out of uh, a couple hundred thousand corks. And how would you arrange that, you ask? That's not easy yeah. either. He right, had some right, cinching right. problems of his own. Right, right, right. Oh, I got another call. Thank you. Thank All you, right. Bob. Thank you, Bob. We'll be checking that out. George, are you still there? I'm still here. Okay. Back on. Back Sorry to Raw Faith. one 625 9378 It's part of the joy of boat talk. You never know who's going to call with a boat. What kind of boat, you know? Did, did, uh, George, did you you say you did or did not have a captain's license? I do not. Yeah, okay. No. Uh, willing to take a captain, though. That uh, You know, um, honestly, George, it gets into uh, who's in charge problems sometimes when you have the owner-builder of the vessel uh, standing right next to a captain. Um, you know, that can be an issue sometimes. I've seen it on yachts. Um, just, you know, just thinking out loud here. You uh, took off from Jonesport, Maine on, what, a Monday afternoon or a Tuesday morning? Uh, Tuesday morning, yeah. How was the weather? I remember that as a windy day. I was working on a roof that day. It was quite windy. Well, when we took off, it was about 6 a.m. It wasn't uh, windy hardly at all. The forecast was that the wind was going to be picking up to uh, 20 to 25 knots, and we didn't see that as any kind of a problem at all. You got towed out of Mosebeck Reach by a fishing boat, I'm assuming. Uh, how did, what, tell us what happened after that. Yep. Um, we, got, we did get tugged out by a local fisherman, and we raised the sails, and she took off. And uh, uh, for a couple hours, we were sailing at, uh, you know, three and a half, four knots, and the wind was uh, listening to the forecast. And I don't know, it must have been uh, 9 or 10 o'clock before the, the gale warning started to come on the forecast. Who do we have aboard for crew, George? We had uh, myself, my son Robert, and uh, three volunteers who came on from uh, uh, Louisiana. Okay. Five of us on board. Yeah. I'd, like, I'd like to ask, do you know what let go on your rig? Um, what initially let go? Yes. Uh, no, I, I, I don't, I, I have not been able to turn I've from what I can tell, has been about four factors that have contributed to the uh, to the to the fault to the to the rig letting go. But I'm not sure exactly what that was. Well, anyway, the wind's picking up. You're sailing along. Uh, you're making pretty good time by this point. Um, dark well, night. We, keep, we were keeping an eye on it. Now, last year when we sailed up from uh, uh, Rockland up to Jonesport, we you know watching the rig and and, and like I say the top of the mast were a little small, so they'd bend over a little bit. We're keeping an eye on that to see what kind of stress it was under. And this time we're sailing with the wind on our rear uh, port quarter, and we didn't see any stress on the rigging whatsoever. But even with the forecast with the wind picking up, um, it was, oh, I'm going to say by 2 o'clock in the afternoon, I had lowered the aft in the main sail. And we uh, reefed the forward sail 10 feet, and we had the storm jib up on the, uh, on the forward uh, up, up front also. And so that left us with about, I don't know, 460 or so square feet of sail area, which isn't that much. And when I say that 
that mass, the forward mass, is the one that let go first. And um, uh, we, we were watching that very closely. We, we had slowed down. We were sailing before we had done this. Uh, she was moving along at eight knots, and we had we had when we lowered the sails, she was now uh, moving about three and a half knots, which was mostly just the sea and uh, pushing us along, uh, you know, with a little bit of help from the wind and uh, keeping us straight. But uh, clearly there wasn't any strain on the mast that we could notice or see at all. Wind's blowing and, about 30 knots, maybe? Uh, no, not at, that, not at that time, not for us. Um, not that we could tell. Uh, I, I've been in a lot of 30 knots of wind, and uh, uh, like I say, if you subtract what we were doing, uh, our speed it still doesn't make that big a difference. And I wouldn't say there was more than 20, 25 knots at the most is all we were in when that mast let loose. Okay, so the uh, foremast let go. Uh, was yeah. it was it in the dark when that happened? It's always in the dark. No, no, it was oh, bright good. day. It was bright in the middle of the afternoon. I'm going to say uh, four in the afternoon, thereabouts. And what happened? You know, we that's the same mast that had broke the, a year before, year and a half before, and we stuck a piece of aluminum tubing on top to strengthen that. And uh, that aluminum tubing had acted, as near as I can tell, as a lever against the mast as well as because where the mast had snapped was about six feet below that aluminum tubing where the jaws from the uh, gaff was hitting the, uh, the mast. And that coupled with the angle of the um, gaff on the sails, and reference to the lady that had called, for example, I had uh, uh, talked to a professional sailmaker uh, about uh, the sails. And uh, even though we made the sails ourselves, I had her advice on them. And I even copied the angle of the gaff from a uh, marine architect out in Oregon who, who uh, claimed this was the, a better angle than what the traditional angle was. And so I went with that, and it ended up a flatter angle on the gaff, which puts more strain on the mass. And uh, even though he didn't talk about that in any of his writings, and I haven't seen any of it, you know, I've got the Rigger's Apprentice, and i got the Gaff Handbook, and, and none of these books or anything talk about the strain or the angle and the difference of the strain that that puts on the on the mast. And so I didn't have any idea about that. I have had several other captains on board the ship. Uh, some have even gone sailing with me. No one has ever talked about that as a uh, as a factor. But I think in this case it did turn into a factor. And um, because that angle being flatter, it does put more stress on uh, at that foot. Well. Oh, details aside, it let go in fairly moderate conditions. So anyway, the foremast uh, broke at the top, and then uh, uh, a couple hours later, the the main and the mizzen went as well. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna say three, four hours later, about four hours later, just about. You'd already been in, been in touch with the coast guard before that. Uh, seasick crew, also, I heard. Yeah, that's always yep. pretty. Yeah, uh, yeah. I think uh, once we hove to on the sea anchor. Um, that uh, whoever whoever wasn't seasick by that time uh, quickly got seasick thereafter. And then, uh, of course, you know, people's, uh, you know, then people become an issue as well after that. I mean, uh, people, you just got more to worry about. Um, so the Coast Guard comes over the horizon, a uh, good-sized cutter. Uh, and, again, they tow you back into Rockland. Giffy asked an interesting question earlier. They've towed you back into Rockland. Um, you're under a, a, a port order not to move the boat without a, a tow plan or a new rig signed off by a marine surveyor. There's some work for you, Giffy. And uh, you're not a vessel for hire, George. You're a private vessel. 
Um, Giffy asked an interesting question earlier. Um, as a private vessel, what right does the Coast Guard have to uh, tell you how to rig your boat in the first place? Was, well, was they that... don't. They don't, to, to put it uh, plainly. Um, I haven't challenged them on that point because the rigging that I need on the ship needs to be of certain standards anyway. And so, um, you know, I'm kind of frustrated with uh, nickel and dime in the rigging the way I have been, and so I, I don't want to go out unless I've got the proper rigging on the ship again. So I haven't even uh, uh, thought about challenging them on that point. George, I need to apologize. We're running into the corner on the time here. Uh, let's cut right to it. Uh, what are you going to do this summer, and what do you need? Well, we, we clearly need funding in order to um, uh, get the right rigging. Uh, it's going to cost us roughly $8,000 to procure the three masts. Uh, they'll be anywhere from 12 to 14 inches at the head on top and up to uh, 24 to 30 inches at the base, all Douglas fir, flawless, machine peeled. Um, and uh, we need to get the money to procure them and get all the lines and everything uh, uh, for the ringing. So. You're pretty happy to talk to anybody that comes by, is that true? And uh, I heard that uh, Captain Brenda Walker from Isaac H. Evans, who was, uh, let's face it, a, a critic of yours the last time you were in the harbor, uh, dropped by, give you a visit last week and brought you a cake, didn't she? Yes, she did. And yeah. It was very appreciated. I wish I had more time to talk to her. Um, but, no, I, I'm, I, I'm obviously willing to talk to anybody. Uh, about the rigging or about the ship. If somebody has any concerns at all, I'm obviously willing to talk to them because uh, when people just say, oh, the hull has deficiencies, you know, that just, that's just silly talk at that. But if somebody wants to talk about what those deficiencies are, what they think the problems are, then that's what I'm willing to talk about because I want to fix any deficiencies or fix any problems or issues. And, well, and uh, getting advice is always, always a good thing. Well, but you're in a good place, uh, We'll give, give, give you the last word here. You're in a good place. There's a lot of people there that can help you, and I want to wish you a lot of luck. Well, thank you. Well, that's going to just about wrap up the sales for this boat talk. We've got to make room for Jim Pahoosh coming up next with On the Wing here on Community Radio, WERU-FM, Blue Hill 89.9, 102.9 in Bangor. Until next month, thanks for tuning in.